0: The NBA is back. Where else can you get this
1: type of drama? Where else does history hang from the Raptors? Jalen Proud throws it down. Where else is your own city home to your biggest rivals? The battle
0: of LA is
1: real, people.
0: And 30 feet is still in range.
1: Where else can a city this loud be this slept on? Where else is history? Still in the making. Oh Where else? The NBA. Only here. Season begins December 22nd on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. this January at the Coliseum. We, not me, versus the NFC. And for the first time since 2003, the Rams are NFC West champions.
2: Welcome to Rams Talk Radio. This is Derek C. Paula here for another edition of the show. This is our 11th show of the year thus far. And yes, folks, I know you're getting tired of the same old introduction song... I've been getting comments on Twitter, getting occasional email and message. I know, I know. Well, guess what? We're working on a new intro. But it's kind of dependent on how far the team goes. Whether they win the Super Bowl we know it's just the NC championship game. So we're going to wait and see if this team wins the Super Bowl. And, of course, then that'll go into our intro. So it's coming, guys. We're hearing you. The new intro's on the way. So today's show is... A mixed bag, we got the athletics Vinny Bonsignore on the line today to talk a little bit about the Saints game, to talk a little bit about the expectations moving into Super Bowl week, the team's mindset, so on and so forth. He had some pretty enlightening things to say. And then also, I went deep into our archives because I recorded an interview last summer and... We just never got around to playing it. And it's, it. I can't believe we never got around to putting it out during the season, but it's it's fitting now because our guest for the show is Rams' legendary offensive lineman, Dennis Herra. And for whatever reason, we just kept that interview stocked away. I felt it's a great time to put it out there. So that's our plan for today. So Vinny Bonsignore from The Athletic, and then, of course, Dennis Herra. Before we move on, I do want to ask you, hey, if you are listening to, we, 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 I, I'm so thankful. We've had a ton of people just come in and listen to our show now for the first time in the last few days. If you are new to the Rams Talk family and you're just getting used to us, please head on over iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud. If you like what we're doing, please leave a good review. Five star preferably, please. And subscribe. Please, subscribe. It helps us out in the charts. It helps us in our numbers. And we're trying to draw sponsors so we can stay on the air. So that really helps us out. Don't forget we're also a part of a network now. Our team includes Rampage Radio, who's returning this week, and Budding Heads with Steve and Johnny. So there you go. Also, before we really get knee-deep into our, our guest today, we do want to talk about one of our sponsors most of us, especially now, this time of year, talking about the Super Bowl, we're practically addicted to anything Los Angeles Rams. Well, if you want to learn more about Rams history with a bit of personal touch, check out Jim Hawk's book, Hollywood's Teen Grit Glam, the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. The book tells the story of the 1950s Rams through the lens of Jim's dad, John, who was an offensive lineman for the team from 1953 to 1957. Check out his son's story of his father and the team he played for in an era of glitz, glamour, and future Hall of Famers. Read about players like Norm Van Brocklin, Elroy Cresley, League's Hirsch, Tom Fears, and Les Richter in this story spanning the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. You can find Hawks' book online at hollywoodsteam.com and on Twitter at hollywoodsteam. It's available both in hardback and electronic format at Amazon and Barnes and Noble. The book is also available through various other bookstores on the internet. I've read from cover to cover. Nor read from cover to cover. Johnny's right from Cover to Cover, and we're still teaching Steve to read, but we're on we're on a good path with him. He'll get there eventually, okay? Check it out. Really, check it out. It is a solid book in history, and hopefully, in the next couple months, we'll talk about some more Reigns books that are coming out, but this is our sponsor, and that's Jim Hogg's Hollywood team. Alright, so without further ado, here's our interview with the Athletics wonderful, wonderful Vini Bocignola. Awesome. There it goes. All right, folks, I'm here the Athletics. Vinny Bones and Yari. Did, did, did I get it right? Did I? You got it right, man. Good job. Gosh, it's only take me 45 times to get it right. Okay. okay. So, uh, you know, it's a really big deal for us to catch up with you on you know, as we begin this Super Bowl Media Week journey, two weeks here, and there's still some kind of feeling across the league about the Saints game and so on and so forth. So I do want to get your thoughts. I know you've probably given your thoughts a million times, but this is our show, so you want to get them firsthand. What is the feeling about the Rams' controversial PI at the end of the game that wasn't called and and so on and so forth?
3: Well, I mean, uh, understandable, obviously, that, uh, that the Saints feel the way they do, that their fans feel the way they do, um, and are understandably upset and disappointed. Um, it was a gut-wrenching you know way for them to to end their season uh but I think there's a way to express all of that uh without crossing the lines of sportsmanship and I thought that um Gail you know, Gail Benson their their owner uh crossed the line when she started bringing up integrity and fairness because what she's truly what she's really implying is that something underhanded happened something purposeful happened something was strategically done to you know alter the outcome of the game when the reality is it was a mistake um you know and and it was a miscall it was a blatant miscall but it was a human mistake nobody was out to get the saints in that game and for her to bring up integrity i thought um you know overstepped the boundaries of disappointment you know and and, and sportsmanship um so you know from the rams perspective and I think from you know if you if you if if you step outside you know Saints world and 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 the way they're reacting to this and digesting this, um, you know they, the Saints still got points out of that drive. They still had a lead with a minute and 41 remaining in the game in their house, and that was a crazy house. Uh, it was bedlam at that point. Um, the Rams had to drive the length of the field. Uh, to tie that game up. And you're talking about one of the better defenses in the, in the NFL, a defense that had been playing, you know, really good football, uh, for most of the season and, and definitely, uh, the last, you know, part of the season. So everything was, was lined up for the Saints to take care of business. They didn't. Uh, the Rams drove down the field. They got a game tying field goal. Then the Saints got the ball in overtime. Um, We saw what happened with the Patriots when that happened in their game against the Kansas City Chiefs. They took advantage by scoring a touchdown and winning the game and ending the story. Uh, The Saints, on the other hand, uh, you know, Dante Feller makes a great spin move and was relentless in getting to Drew Brees. Got there just enough time to kind of knock him, uh, knock his arm a little bit. Uh, forced a, a an interception, uh, so they didn't take care of business there. The Rams got the ball and did take care of business. So there was a lot of football to be played after that call, um, and you know. So I think I think tainting the Rams' victory um, the way it seems some people are, uh, I I just don't think it is right. There were a lot of calls in that game. There's a lot of calls in the course of a game that. Um, you know, if you put it under a microscope, you would see that, oh, wow, there should have been a holding call there. Oh, you know, everyone's talking about the face mask penalties that went uncalled. Those, you know, for sure. You know, you can make the argument. If you're going to make the argument that you need to replay a play like that, why is that play so much important Then let's just say, you know, I know Rams fans complain a lot about Aaron Donald getting held on, on, on plays. You know, mm-hmm. there's, there's been instances mm-hmm. where he's basically gotten taken to the ground and there's been no penalty called. What I'm sure some of those plays were on third downs that were converted, um, you know, as a result because they didn't call that 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 holding penalty and what happens if those that third down moving the chains to create another first down leads to a game deciding touchdown which you know uh i'm I'm sure has probably been the case in his in his history so why would that penalty more be more important than a non you know holding call on aaron Donald or anybody pick anybody in the nfl for that matter so you know, when you start talking about integrity, when you start talking about fairness, when you start talking about changing the rules just because you're disappointed, you know, of an outcome, there's a lot of dominoes that fall with that. And I'm not a subscriber uh, of the belief that we have to make everything right. There's a human element in this game, and and to single out one play and say that was way more important than any other penalty that didn't get called uh, in that game, I think is is wrong. So, um, you know, from the Rams' perspective, they get it. They understand. They would be upset too. Uh, but again, there's there's a way to handle this with sportsmanship, and there's a way that to handle it without sportsmanship. And I think the Saints and their fans. Are uh, unfortunately, you know, doing it without sport, good sportsmanship.
2: Now, you, you have, you've had a chance now to be around the team here in the in the couple of days afterwards, and so what are the attitudes of, you know, some of the individuals that you've come over? I'm not asking for names, but what are the attitudes you've seen about the aftermath of the game and, and how they're feeling concerning the things you're mentioning, like the sportsmanship of it, and so on and so forth.
3: You know, professional athletes have a have a uh, uncanny ability to move on really quickly, whether it's from triumph or or agony, uh, or even controversy. Yeah, people are going to ask them uh, about that play. I'm sure on media night, Monday, it's going to be a big topic of, of conversation. But within the within the framework of the team, uh, it's something that they um, have moved on from, and they have to. You know, they they can't dwell on whether, you know, no matter how that game would have, uh, the outcome would have been, um, and especially had they, you know, whatever, they won the game, so they have to move on very quickly because there's a beast that's standing in front of them, and that's called the New England Patriots, and a big old trophy uh, and legacy and career-defining moment that's, that's uh, ahead of them. So they're not thinking about, the penalty anymore um they've put that uh you know in 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 the uh in the rearview mirror and are fully engaged in in, in what's ahead
2: so what have you in these cowboys afterwards you're getting down to the facility having a chance to observe what's going on what what are you seeing as you're preparing for this game
3: well uh they returned to practice today they've had off um Actually, today is just a walkthrough, but uh, they've been off for the last couple of days. You know, I've seen the players. They're doing a lot of their, you know, all that stuff that you're going to see on TV, um, all the, the promos and all the, you know, player type stuff, um, you know, in their nice shiny uniforms or anything like that, that all gets taken care of uh, these last couple of days um you know so so when they land in atlanta it's full bore ahead um for the game plan and, and practicing and and focusing yeah there's still going to be some unusual type of stuff with media night and then you know each day uh you know 10 or so players are going to be made available uh to the media uh, but they're going to try to control that as much as they possibly can to make it as as regular as they possibly can if that's even possible in a in a super bowl week but all the other stuff it's happening this week. Now they'll return to the field today you a walk through a situation. They'll practice tomorrow uh, and, and Saturday. Uh, but they're, you know, again, they're um, they're they're focused ahead of them, just as they have all year long, whether it was, you know, after the Chiefs game or, you know, beating the Minnesota Vikings on a Thursday or, or their losses to the Eagles and, and the Bears. It's all about, okay, what do we have to do now to win this next football game? And it just so happens to be that that next game is the Super Bowl.
2: So, I guess just, you know, outside of LA we're we're seeing a lot of media and at least a lot of fans in general not giving the Rams a chance here. All of a sudden they, they you know, this is a this giant the the, the Eagles who not the Eagles, I'm Paul the Patriots, who have been there over and over and over again. Um, just have too much experience for this team that barely has any Super Bowl experience at all. Brandon Cooks be one guy who's been there, Keith Lee has been there. And with all those things in mind, how can they possibly win? How, From what you're seeing, all this team, their attitudes, their preparation, from what you're hearing there, what are their chances of winning at this point for you as you're watching well,
3: them? Yeah, uh, you know, um, this is a team that has felt like, you know, when, when, when they play their game, they can go anywhere at any time and beat anyone um, under any conditions. Uh, they truly believe that. And, you know, they believe that after they lost. The New Orleans Saints in November, and I can remember talking to guys after that game. and like, "Hey, man, if we got to come back here to uh, to punch a ticket to the Super Bowl, we can and and, and we will." And that, that wasn't just cheap talk; that was legitimately how they how they felt. I was, you know, uh, not so much surprised, but I was like, "Wow, you know, uh, they they this loss didn't crush them. They it actually gave them confidence." and So, I mean, you know, you're gonna get your talk from the outside. It's been the case, you know, the whole way through. I think a lot of people, you know, felt like they hadn't been playing so well in December. So, and the Cowboys were, and so that meant that the Cowboys were going to come to the Coliseum, you know, and beat the Rams. And certainly, um, while Drew Brees against the youngster, uh, Jared Goff, it's it's a Saints. It's in their in their their building. Um, You know, what are the chances that the Rams are going to be able to? to go in there, what are the chances that Jared Goss to be able to outplay Drew Brees? Well, we saw what happened in that Cowboy game, and we saw what happened in the Saints game in an unbelievable atmosphere. I can't express how loud it was in there and the bedlam that it was. And Jared described it as chaotic, and it, it was every bit that word. So I don't, you know, I mean, maybe the, you know, outsiders might might not be dialed in just yet on 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 what this team is, is all about. Um, and and how you know convicted they are that they could go anywhere to beat anyone. But I know inside that locker room there's there's a strong conviction that that you know they can win this football game. Obviously, it's going to come down to what all football games has come down to: execution, efficiency, turnovers, and all of that. But by no means is there any kind of a feeling that they can they aren't capable of of pulling this off. There's an absolute belief that they uh, can go to Atlanta and beat the Patriots, and that they will go to Atlanta and, pay, and and beat the Patriots. Now it's just merely a matter of, of of playing their kind of a game. So we'll see if that happens, but certainly there's a, a, a confidence level that, uh, that can, cannot be questioned.
2: Vinny, you were a major kind of voice during the whole process of this team moving from St. Louis to Los Angeles. You wrote numerous articles, had numerous pieces out there that kind of just, I guess, chronicle the whole process. You've been, you watched, you were a part of, you know, in terms of talking about with the Raiders possibly moving there, the Chargers, and now the Rams. And so you've seen this build from the very bottom to where it is now. What would the Rams winning the Super Bowl do for the team getting entrenched in the L.A. market? well um I mean
3: obviously it would go a long way i think I think uh, just what they've done over these la- over these last two years um over these last two weeks um ha- have certainly um you know caught the attention of 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 all of los Angeles and that just you know they had a lot of fans uh, that were still intact here and they welcomed them back you know with open arms and and they're a strong group and a and and uh you know numerous in numbers uh strong in numbers um you know but but you know when you leave los when they left los angeles and it wasn't just you know 1994 1995 you have to go back to 1979 um that was their last year in los angeles they moved from the coliseum to the big a in anaheim i know it's not that far away but it's far enough that it sort of um they ceased to be LA's football team uh, at that point, and lo and behold, the Oakland Raiders moved to Los Angeles that that same year or the next year or very very soon after, and um, and backfill that, and then they kind of became you know the LA's team for that for that period of time. So it wasn't just from 1994 to 2016; it was really 1979 to 2016 in a lot of ways. Um, obviously, more dramatic when when they were in St. Louis, but you know, it's a long-winded way of saying uh, that it was a slow kind of, kind of slide for them. And it, along the way, especially when they were in St. Louis, they 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 gave up their uh, prominence alongside you know the iconic brands out here, which are the you know the Dodgers and the and the Lakers, and to some extent USC football. And they knew that coming back, it was going to be a little while before. They can truly say that they were, you know, uh, back alongside, you know, the Dodgers and the Lakers, and they're still not quite there yet. Um, they're not surprised by that. They're not shocked by that. It's going to take, you know, when 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 when, when uh, an entire generation of kids grow up without a local team to root for, as as many did, you know, from from the mid '90s to 2016. Mm-hmm. What that does is those those guys or you know kids, girls, guys become fans of the Patriots or the Cowboys or the New York Giants or, you know, the Jacksonville, whatever, you know, on and on and on. And, you know, to 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 ask somebody who has become a fan of another team and really invested themselves in another team uh, and become emotionally attached to another team, you know, when they're 21, 22, 23 years old, all of a sudden a new team comes back, the Rams come back and say, hey, can you drop those allegiances? And come join our bandwagon. That's hard to do. I mean, you're a fan of the Rams. How, you know, could you do that? Could you just on the whim, you know, drop your allegiance if somebody moved into your hometown? Um, you know, uh, uh that's hard. So it's going to take a little while and it's going to take another generation of kids growing up with them here and being a presence here for it to truly kind of come together. But. It's happening. You can see it happening. You can see the atmosphere at the Coliseum this year was just, you know, uh electric, so many different nights. You know, the Kansas City Chiefs game, the Minnesota Viking game, obviously the Cowboys game, the Packers game, and yeah, there's always going to be fans of, of other teams uh, in the building. That's just the way it is. You go to a Dodger game when the Cardinals are in town. There's going to be a bunch of Cardinal fans. You go to, to Anaheim when the Red Sox are in town. Yeah, you know, yeah. The Red Sox fans are going to be, you know, prominent. So, uh, but they're doing it the right way. They've built a good young team, an exciting team. Obviously, they're in the Super Bowl. People are taking notice, and 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 so it's happening as we speak.
2: Does it help too that there are so many of the Rams alumni who become part of it? Like we just had Michael Stewart on the show last night, and he he's actually a good guy who comes on co hosts with us quite a bit. We we'll have Jim Everon again. We we don't have all these guys are all figures who. Continue to bring back you know the, that connection of the old rams to the now is that helping out as well
3: yeah absolutely, and I think that that's one edge that the rams and it's a major edge that the rams have uh you know over the chargers as the chargers go through their process you know of 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 creating their niche here and the rams have a history and it's it's one of those things that's kind of cool actually you know when you when the guys like Eric Dickerson and, and Nolan Cromwell, you know, and, and um, uh, you know, on and on and on. Jim Everett, uh, these these names that kids grew up with, um, and, and adults that are adults now, obviously that grew up rooting for um, these Rams legends. Um, for 21 years, they kind of fell by the wayside. I don't want to say they died; they didn't die in the in the you know in in, in that sense. But there has been a sense we didn't write about them. There was no reason for me to write about about those guys um, because there was no anchor here. There was no Rams here anymore. So they just, they became ghosts in a lot of ways. Well, you know, now that the Rams have come back, it's really cool to see how those guys have been resurrected now, you know. And and so to have that connection still intact, I think, is a huge huge advantage. And it's really nice to see a lot of those guys, you know, getting their due and getting their time in the sun now that their team is back in, in L.A.
2: Now, when the Raiders moved down from Oakland, um, it was a year later, pretty much, when they won the Super Bowl and they destroyed the Redskins. And you could, I guess you could make a pretty safe argument that once the Raiders did that, they, they took a massive chunk of the market away from the Rams. Is Can something similar to that happen to the Rams – I mean, they, you've already mentioned that they're already doing it in, in a lot of great ways, but that Super Bowl victory, to me, seems like it would be a sealant for – a lot of the folks who are kind of on the fence and, and jumping on that, well, quote, unquote, bandwagon. It,
3: yeah, I think that it's going it, to – it would go a long way. Um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, you're right. Um, there were a lot of fans that became fans of the Raiders um, during those during those years, and, you know, we, we still feel that presence to this day. Um, so, you know, any kind of success, especially on a large scale like the Rams are, are you know, currently enjoying – Um, is going to go a long way toward, you know, being a magnet for, for, for new fans. Uh, but, but even, you know, just as importantly, I should say, is just building a compelling team. It doesn't have to be, you know, um, just star driven or anything like that. I think there's a misconception about Los Angeles and that. Just win. If you win, you're going to, you're going to, um, you know, create excitement and you're going to be relevant and people are going to notice and people are going to want to be a part of it. Um, and then do it over a long period of time. You know, the Rams don't have to win the Super Bowl every year. Obviously, that's not going to happen. Uh, but, you know, the more years that they could be in the mix, the more years they can, um, be a team that, that, that fans, you know, take pride in, in rooting for, you know, I think it's going to go, a, you know, a really long, toward um, toward establishing themselves or reestablishing themselves here in Los Angeles. And they're certainly on their way in that regard.
2: So I'm wrapping this around now because earlier you mentioned the sportsmanship aspect of it. Mrs. Benson with uh, a couple of uh, former uh, folks who covered the Rams out in St. Louis have mentioned the same thing too, that the league has an interest in purposely having the Rams win as kind of a setup and, because of what it can do to help build the fan base in L.A., what do you say to that criticism out there of the NFL that, you know, the silliness of attacking the NFL for purposely, quote-unquote, um, making sure so the Rams are there to the serve? Bowl?
3: Well, with all due respect to any legitimate media members um, that have actually, you know, uh, um, took the time to think of that and then actually, Either write it or verbalize it. It's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. There's no way that anyone's gonna control things to that extent. That's just stupidity on top of stupidity. This is a team that, um, you know, has gone about built, rebuilding themselves in a in a in a really spectacular way, and it took a lot of, you know, decisions that 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 had to had to uh, turn out to be right. Sean McVay, Jared Goff, um, you know, drafting Todd Gurley. Some of this stuff predates their return, you know, to to Los Angeles and then they have to go out and 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 execute it. Um so and there's just too much going on in a football game for anyone to think that somebody's gonna purposely try to slant things um in, in their favor. So um you know, I, Like I said, all due respect to, to any media members out there, but if anyone's really seriously thinking about that, I think it's probably time to pick a new career.
2: Well, I I think of one who specifically who was, I think, at one point legitimate, and I don't think it's any more legitimate, that's for sure. I think you can, I'm think i pretty sure you can figure out who that is. Uh, <laughs> to, to kind of seal up this interview today, um, outline for me the impact that less need has had. You just mentioned – the moves that this front office had to make that we had to, I mean, that was, it took some, took some, well, let's just be blunt. It took some balls. It really did to make some of the moves they did, um, trading in first round pick away for Brandon Cooks, risking what they did for, for, uh, for Marcus Peters, going out there and hiring a 30 year old head coach, uh, to, to making these moves. And a couple of years ago, Les Need was on the verge of being fired. At least we believe that. I'm not sure if he actually ever was. And here now, two years in, to the McVeigh Snead regime, this Rams team is—it has a, Even though the older veterans are there, it has a wonderful future. You're never going to have a problem getting a free agents to want to come play there. Yeah, what, you know, what is the impact now that Les Snead has made on this organization?
3: Well, you know, I'm 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 uh, I'm happy that Les is getting you know some some time in the sun because he's definitely you know uh, played a huge role in in all of this, and it goes back to some of his drafts. Uh, since coming on board, and you know, you talk about the Aaron Donalds, you talk about the the Todd Gurleys, um, you talk about the trade uh, to go get Jared Goff, and and you know how vindicated they feel um, about that about that now. Although I don't think that there was ever any wavering of confidence um, in Jared, even after the, the the rough rookie season, they 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 truly believed they had something special in 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 Jared. Um, you know, and then and then more recently, you know the. A trade for a Dante Fowler, going to get CJ Anderson, you know, uh, off the unemployment line, you know, moves that, you, you know, weren't necessarily big, you know, banner headline moves, but, you know, have, have paid off. You know, I was talking to him yesterday about, you know, uh, the, the Sue move and, you know, you could say what you want about Indominican in, during the regular season and, you know, uh, I think some of his lack of production might have been, you know, how he was being used and, him trying to fit in and, and, and all of those. And you could have made a case where he didn't deserve the contract during the course of the regular season. But he's come up so big in the playoffs that now that $14 million is well worth it. It was well worth worth it, even if you're just talking about the two games that he's had at the most critical moments against the Cowboys and against the Saints. And, um, you know, and, and the Cooks trade, you know, giving up a first-round pick to immediately fill a void left when Sammy Watkins walked as a free agent. Oh, by the way, you're going to get a third-round pick for letting Sammy Watkins and Jermaine Johnson, for that matter, uh, leave as a as a free agent. So there's been a lot of shrewd moves, um, and I think that he's done it in a way, like, as he explains, that, you know, we're not just, you know, uh, collecting players here. We're building a football team. And and so every move, even even though some of these moves with Talib and Marcus Peters and, and Sue, the it – Big names were attached to it, but all of those moves were um, in the quest of building a good football team, not just an all-star collection of talent, but a good football team. And I don't think there's any question looking at how they've played these last couple of years and and this year and these last couple of weeks, I don't think there's any question that this is a good football team, and he deserves a ton of credit for, um, you know, the the work he put in 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 building this, this, this roster.
2: So, Vinny, um, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time. I know how busy this is now for you. This is Bananas. I uh, would like to catch up with you again after the Super Bowl to kind of get the the breakdown. And, and um, again, thank you so much. Vinny, where can folks follow you as if they don't uh, already know?
3: At Daily New- Or, excuse me, wow. That oh, was a wow. Blast. That was a blast. Yeah. At Vinny Bonster, uh, right? That's my uh, that's my, my Twitter, Twitter header. I always forget that. But I'm at The Athletic. Uh, I write for The Athletic now. It's been a blast. I love it. Um, it's, it's been, uh, a great, uh, uh, you know, uh, career change, um, not necessarily career change, but change, uh, for me professionally. So, uh, so I, you know, I, I urge anyone, if you're a fan of the Rams, if you're a fan of the Patriots, if you're a fan of, you know, the, the Lakers or the Dallas Mavericks or whoever, um, you know, we've got you covered at the athletic and it's one, you know, uh, 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 small payment per month. And there's always a lot of deals that are going out, uh, going around uh, for quality, ad-free, in-depth uh, coverage of, of everything: the NFL, the NBA, the NHL, college football, college basketball, professional soccer, uh, and, and on and on and on. So, um, you know, I, I, it's worth the investment, and I've gotten a lot of great feedback from, from fans and readers that are, that have, uh, you know, subscribed, and, and they're not looking back, and and uh, and so. So for it it's it's really worth the money
2: there you go yeah i've seen i actually took advantage of one of the deals recently nice and I, so i get to be a athletic subscriber as well all right dude thank you so much again we'll catch you with the super bowl thanks always for coming on and we really appreciate it
3: you got it absolutely and enjoy the game
2: all right you too thank you thanks all right so that was Vinny bonsignore the athletic good interview as always always full of good insight folks and a couple things i want to mention about uh things we talked about here i am i i i've come into this season with a lot of respect for saints fans i know a few of them um i don't want us to to just kind of state and think now that all New Orleans saints fans are, are are well poor sports here that's not the case that said i am disappointed as well in the behavior of mrs benson i am disappointed that we have members of Congress in both parties. Really kind of weird. Both Democrats. They can't agree on anything. They can't agree on a budget. They can't agree on border security. But they can agree, a couple of them, at least from Louisiana, Republican Democrat, that uh, the Saints should be looked at, the NFL should be looked at, sorry, in Congress. This is just silly. So, there, You know, the game is a human game. We all gotta move on here. The Rams are in the Super Bowl. They belong in the Super Bowl. They earned the right to be there. So... There you go. All right, so as we move forward here, a couple pieces of Rams news. The big one today, Greg Zerline is on the injury report in his second straight day today with a foot injury. Apparently, he was injured by halftime of the NFC Championship game, and he still kicked a 57-yard field goal to win the game off a bad snap, by the way, off a bad snap. Um, Wow, wow. So here's hoping everything's going to be okay with him. Apparently, it's looking like it will be. C.J. Anderson also landed on the report today with an illness, Uh, so best wishes and hit with him getting better. And if you haven't seen it, if you get a chance, check out the Rams' Twitter feed. They have a video up, and they gave Super Bowl tickets and all the accommodations to their facilities manager. Their their guy, Alfonso is his name. It's a really touching scene with him and Brandon Cooks, and this guy gets to take his son to the Super Bowl to see the Rams' Play And that is uh, really special. I am just thrilled at how this organization has changed over the years. Um, the Rams, when they were in St. Louis, they were always very involved in the community. And, you know, ever since they've moved back to L.A., though, they've been kind of... They've become a much... Not that they weren't a classy organization before they were, but they've really become... An organization that I can really be proud of, uh, both on the field and off the field. Things like this, they they do make you proud. They are so involved in the community in L.A. They keep doing, and I know a lot of it is is PR. You want to get people on board with this team. You're trying to win over a, a metropolitan community that has not had a team, did not have a team for 21 years. And so you're trying to win these people over. And I get that, but, man, they are still handling things with such class. And it makes me very proud to cover this team and to have been following them for as long as I have. All right. So before we get to Dennis Herrera, let's take some time to talk about our other sponsor, Sal Martinez and the Gold Ram Barbershop. If you're looking to support one of your own in the Orange County area and you like the old school barbershop experience, look no further. Sal Martinez Gold Ram Barbershop at one three seven five five. And go at a Golden West Street in Westminster, California. Sal Martinez opened up his sh- his shop as a shrine to the Rams on the day the team left for St. Louis, and he's kept the light on ever since. He's by appointment only, so give a call at 714 894 7267 Rams and use the promo code RAMSTalk so he knows we sent you and get a discount on an already affordable haircut. The Gold Ram Barbershop is open Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. And Saturday, 7 to 4 p.m., one more time, give Sal a call at 714-894-7267. If it's to his shop, geez, it's, it is a Hall of Fame of the Rams. It is a shrine to this team. You'll find everything from helmets to jerseys. But the conversation there is the old-school experience. It's like, like the movie Barbershop, except maybe not all the hijinks, the shenanigans. But it's well worth the guys, and go check it out. Okay, so a little thing about the Dennis Harris interview. Like like the Vinny interview earlier, we had to do it via phone. It's not the world's best connection. I did the best I could to amplify it. It does break up at one point, so you're going to see it in two parts. And I'll come in, and uh, you'll see, you'll hear a rewind. Just so you know, just so you're aware, it's a really good interview. He tells a lot of stories. He talks a lot about you know why the team didn't make that that um, that Super Bowl jump, but once in the '70s. He um, really down to earth guy. And I hope you enjoy our interview with Dennis Herra, Rams legend, folks. Rams legend. Here you go. Okay, we're here with Dennis Herra, the legendary Rams offensive lineman. Dennis, thank you for coming to the uh, join the show. We're uh, hoping you have a. We're hoping to have you on for a, at least. A, okay, I'm sorry, Dennis. I messed it up. I know. <laughs> no,
4: no, no. Hey, hey, hey I, I, you, you've never met anybody easier to interview than me. So go ahead, let's go for it. You don't have to start it over. Hey, just let me know uh, where you located
2: at. Where are uh, where
4: you at? Oh,
2: uh, we're in. I'm in Youngstown, Ohio. Um, our staff is is all over the place. Youngstown, we're in
4: Ohio. Youngstown, Youngstown, Ohio, and you are a LA Rams fan. Is that is that what's going on?
2: That's right. That's right. I, uh, I grew up as a military brat, and we were stationed in Long Beach when I started liking yeah. football. And it's a really strange story, but what happened was is my mom went to go buy some phones, and the phone dealer was trying to sell her this stuff. And he had those old Baskin Robbins helmets in there. He had a Rams helmet. He had a Raiders helmet. And we asked him if we could have them. I got the Rams helmet. My sister got the Raiders helmet, so she became a Raiders fan. I became a Rams fan, and then a week later, we moved back to Ohio, and you guys were playing the Cleveland Browns on Monday Night Football. It was Eric Dickerson's last game, and that's that was it. That was it for me. That's what got me in there. Yeah, and
4: I could tell I could tell stories about guys throwing dog bones at me when we were at, the, at Cleveland. Hey, a dog bones there, and 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 I, I, I can go, I could go from the East Coast to that, to the West Coast of Long Beach. See, I had legends in Belmont Shores and Long Beach. I grew up in, I feel like I grew up in Long Beach. I, I you know, I was there when I was twenty-two years old till I was thirty-two, thirty, thirty-four. I married my wife out of Long Beach, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I, I this Long Beach, California, to me. Is 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 my first, my second home. I mean, I just I can't tell you all my great friends that in Belmont Shores that we just hung out with and just we parted. equals. See, the Rams were stationed in Long Beach in at Blair Field, which was like the biggest piece of crap uh, <laughs> of a stadium. That I mean, I, the Rams were underneath. A little baseball uh, 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 locker room. It was it was horrific. I just I, I mean, it was it was unbelievable when Carol Rosenblum owned the team at that time. It was amazing how poor the facility was. The weight room, you ate. Hey, our weight room wouldn't even look like a junior high school weight room today. I mean, it was just it was, it was it was it was so poorly funded at the time. But again, that was a different era, and and I could tell those stories forever. It's just amazing. I was with Merlin. I got to play with Merlin Olson and Isaiah Robertson, I saw Reynolds, and, and Tom Plant. Tom Mack, Jack Youngblood, all those guys. It was just – and we were at a facility, like I said, Mm -hmm. that was basically a junior high school facility. That's crazy. That's absolutely
2: crazy. Uh, That's um, – I mean, I I, I just –
4: The the billion-dollar industry now, then I was there in the seventies seventy five 77, I think right there, and that, but it's just like i mean when I go to the when I go to the facilities now, it's like going into a castle compared to what we had, but again, not
2: complaining, I'm just telling you the facts, okay, so before I go, before I go for it, I do want to go ahead and fix that intro for you. I'm going, to, I'm going to just flip them around so we get all that. I just want to say, Dennis, thank you for joining the show. We've been hoping to have you on for a long time. I finally figured out how to find you, so I'm just really glad to talk to you. We've had a couple requests for you to be on the show for a while now, so you, you have not been forgotten, at least by, at least not by the Rams fans out there who remember you taking the field and playing for this team. So, how have you been doing?
4: No, everything's fine. I'm in. I live in Paso Robles, California. I'm about, uh, an hour and a half north of uh, Santa Barbara, and uh, it's the central coast, right in from the Hearst Castle. Uh, right here, it's a it's a wine area here in uh, in the central coast, and I love it here. It's peaceful. I got 75 acres. It's laid back. I don't have to deal with the Southern California. I go down every now and then to different events, but it's just a very
2: peaceful and very nice area. Well, getting into your career, though, you were drafted with the 11th overall pick in the 1975 draft. What was the draft process like for you, and how did you respond when you received word that the Rams had taken you?
4: Well, you know what? Uh, There was (laughs) – there was a bunch of characters at that time, you know, uh, uh, Randy White, uh, Steve Barkowski, Robert Brazil. I mean, there was just. Um, I was, uh, I, 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 you know, for me to be picked eleventh overall in the first round was a tremendous honor, coming from my background, being from Charleston, West Virginia, and and uh, you know just. You know, not having any idea that that uh, what my future would hold for me, and it was a uh, it's been a tremendous, wonderful
2: experience. Now, that day you got the call that they picked you, what were you doing? <laughs> I was sitting.
4: You know, you know, today they, they do the draft field day, and it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's I was sat in my room. I was sitting in my room at the University of Miami in 34-H. There was one reporter there. There was a lady there that they said, that, you know, they think you're going to get drafted early. And I was sitting there uh, with, with with the dollar ninety-eight phone on the wall, and all of a sudden the phone rang, and it was, uh, I believe it was Norm Pollan who was the uh, – uh, who was the scout at the time, called me and said, Dennis, we've drafted you in the first round and 11th pick. And, and I just went, well, all right, well, thank you very much. And they said, we'll be in touch with you. And I, I did a dollar $1.98 inter- interview, and that was it. <laughs> that was it. I mean, it was just like, that was it. And then I went over and had dinner at the, at, at the training table, and that was it. You know, I just uh, – it was it was uh, it was not the show that they have today.
2: Now you joined that team, a team that was dominating the NFC West throughout the seventies. What was special about that team in the seventies?
4: Well, you know what? You know, just the people that were on the team. Gee, you could go through. I could go through the offensive line, the defensive line, and, and you know James Harris, first one of the first black. Black quarterback ever in the NFL, and 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 the defense. The defense was phenomenal. Jack Youngblood, Merlin Olson, Larry Brooks, Freddie Dreyer, Hacksaw Reynolds, Isaiah Robinson. You know, uh, uh, Dave Elmdorff, defensive back. I mean, you go. Uh, our defense was phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. The offensive line. You had Tom Mack, you you Harley Cowan, Joe Shabelli. Uh, dr john williams uh rich Saul. I mean you know i just i can I can name all these names, which you probably wouldn't know who they are, but for me to be able to name them and just for the clarity of they would we were division champions almost every year when I first got there in the early seventies or seventy five I just it was just like we were going to win a division it just it was just like it was known and it was just a really it was really a dominant time there, where Chuck Knox was the head coach, and you know Carol Rosenblum was the owner. And I, I, all I can say is, and for me to be a kid coming out of Charleston, West Virginia, to be a part of that was like I just was. Hey, I, I, how do you, how do you explain that? How do you share that with somebody of the excitement? of what I was a part of.
2: Mm-hmm. And that's that's why we asked, because to to many fans who look back now at that age, that's like the golden age of Rams football. Seven straight NFC West titles. You cap it off with a Super Bowl run. And we look back at that age and wonder, geez, how in, how in the world did that team not win a Super Bowl? They were just so good. And I guess that's my next question. What happened? Why... Why was this team not able to get over that hump and, and finally take a Super Bowl win?
4: Because they, they, they had Pat Hayden run a quarterback sneak uh twice when we had a two hundred and forty pound fullback. Pat Hayden didn't have enough weight in his butt to get across the line. Hey, I, you know what? I, I how do we how do we how do we look back on that? And I laugh, because you know, cause we ran a quarterback sneak, cause you know what? Hey, cause then if we had to blame it on somebody, then blame it on me. Cause apparently I did not make a, <laughs> a block with a quarterback sneak with Pat Hayden to get over in the end zone. But again, you know, you look back on that and how did it happen? And then Carroll ended up basically moving uh, Chuck Knox from there. And he went on to Seattle. But, uh, you know, it was, um, you know, I mean, what did we do wrong? Well, you know, it was, you know, Coach, Coach Knox was three yards in a cloud of dust, and that's what he believed in. And, and, you know, I guess, you know, Carol wanted something different and ended up firing Chuck, and, and he went on to a different place. And, and But, again, if I would have done a better job, if, if a couple guys, we, if, you know, things can happen. Could have, could have turned it around to where, you know, Harold Chuck would another six or seven years, you know, but it was
2: just. All right. So that was the first part of the interview. The phone cut off during his answer. And we'll pick right back up, um, giving out a part of the answer. We, we, we asked the question here in the second call. So here you go. Here's part two of our interview with Dennis Harrow. Hey, uh,
1: you know
4: what? I I can laugh at all that stuff. You know, I mean, mean, play calls, did somebody make the wrong play call? Of course, they made the wrong play calls. We didn't get in the end zone. I mean, yeah. Did you make the wrong play call? Yeah. But that always happens. That's football, and that's part of it. And and, uh, again, it was, but just to be a part of those guys, in my opinion, they were a dynasty. They were just, just the names, the Merlin Olson's, the Youngbloods, the, the Isaiah Robertson's, the Reynolds. that Reynolds. What? Just the names. Just to be a part of that, to me, was one of the greatest parts of my life.
2: Well, I've been trying to get Isaiah Robertson on the show for a while now. I've messaged him a couple of times, and then I, I, I have to convince him somehow to come on. I've been really wanting to talk with him. Uh, and also, Merlin Olson, though, we... We have not been able to really interview anybody yet who, outside of Roman Gabriel, and didn't come up in conversation. We have not been able to talk to anybody who actually played with Merlin Olsen yet. So what was it like to play with him?
4: (laughs) Well, you know what? Merlin, Merlin, when I got there, Merlin was a hero. When I got there, I was the right offensive guard. Merlin was the left defensive tackle. So I had to go against him every day in practice. So I was not Merlin's favorite person. <laughs> it was like so I laughed. I laughed when you wanna know how was Merlin? Merlin was very cranky. Merlin <laughs> Hey, 'cause you know, back then you had to practice on um, you know, sixty, seventy, eighty percent, you know, you're coming off the ball and Merlin, he didn't want to deal with that. Here I'm a rookie, number one draft George, not coming off the football too hard, and you know he's already proven his <laughs> man. So, so, so when you ask me how was Merlin towards Dennis here, I would say very cranky. <laughs> and you know what? And God loved him for that because you know he had two bad knees, bad shoulder, whatever. <laughs> And here I am the number one draft choice. And, and then my coach is yelling at me to come off the ball. But, you know, I'm going against a 14-year veteran at that time, You know, so needless to say, it was <laughs> hey, Merlin and I were not uh, beer buddies. Now, how can I say that any better than that? Because, you know, he just looked at hey, me. Of course, Merlin, being a Mormon gentleman, was not a beer drinker anyway, but it justified fact it was I don't know how many nice things that Merlin ever said to me in my life, and I understand why, because I had to go against him every day and practice. And those days, we practiced
2: way too hard. Well, and that's the those are the stories but that we'd not, love to hear.
4: So let, let me finish off and tell you right now that Merlin Olsen is one of my heroes. And just because just because I made him just because I made him mad in practice every day didn't mean that I didn't think that he was one of my heroes, and he is.
2: What made him that hero for you?
4: Uh, You know what? To me, just longevity, attitude, his his hundred percent effort in a game, his stature of as a man. Uh, you know, his brother, Phil Olson, is the same way. That stature of the man, they're just, uh listen to him speak, and just his male dominance in the right things that he says. I mean, you know, I mean, he he, he just didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> I mean, I, I me, there's a percentage of things that did wrong, and it just seems like, You're around somebody that his percentage of doing things wrong was at such a minimal deal that that it's like it's such an honor to be around a man like that. Because I don't know, like I said, we all make mistakes and we all do whatever. He just seemed like one of those kind of men that made very few mistakes that I know of. And it was just such a... You know, you listen to him talk and you listen to him lead and you listen to that. I mean very few times that I I mean I I know very few that we just made very few mistakes mistakes 'cause a human being and that's what what a honor that is to be around somebody like that.
2: and and moving forward too, he even though when he retired in seventy six I know he left a, left a big impact on that team and what the example he set. And years later, you got to play in the Super Bowl at the end of 1979 season. And what was it like to take the field as a Ram and play in that game? <laughs> oh,
4: boy. I was 20, you know, I was 27 years old. We are 27, 28 years old. We made the playoffs three times in a row, I think, something like that. I was at the point where i just go, you know, I'm in the Super Bowl, okay, you know. Worst thing was, we had to practice for two weeks. They beat us up for two weeks before the game. And I'm going, you know, I mean, what's the honor of doing this? And they beat, I mean, we had full scrimmage practice doing this. And I'm just going, well, okay. This is supposed to be what this, you know, this honor, you know, and and we're scrimmaging. And I'm going, you know, why would you beat a man up before the contest? So you're talking, to not. (laughs) I'm one of the first advocates of why did we practice so hard and do something for that? But it was such an honor for the Super Bowl to be a part of it that they beat us up before it. So, Me being 25 years old, I I said, well, I didn't really appreciate it as much as I do now. I'm 65 years old. And I look back at it and I go, well, I guess, you know, I I thought I was going to make it again and again and again, and we never did. But the worst thing about the whole thing was of the coaches and that deal of them beating us up or two weeks before the Bowl. and you hate to deflate everybody. Like, oh, was it the greatest time? You know, this, No, everybody else was else going to parties. We were, we were practicing. They were doing two days before the game. So, so basically, instead of a one week work week, it was a two week
2: work week before the game. Wow, that's crazy to me that they would wear you guys out that much before the game.
4: Well, and 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 all you go, Tom, what a disappointment! And for a fan, you go, what a disappointment it is to hear that. But you know what? That was that was the era back then. I mean, they they you know they absolutely you know we practice way too hard and scrimmage. You know we're, we're taking chances of getting everybody dinged up, beat up a bit. But that was just the way it was in that era. You know, and, you know, and I could tell you that the Super Bowl was the greatest moment of my life, this and But you know what? <laughs> hey, it was a pain in the butt because we were, like I said, we practiced hard to two weeks before it. beat us up. It's like, where's the reward in this? I mean, I, I just saw no reward in this. And, and I just, of course, I was like, and I was 26, years mm-hmm. old, and I'm. Just, I'm looking around and going I see no reward and in this at all. You know, so but again I, I have a NFC championship ring, it's one that I, I'm very proud that I played in the Super Bowl, but it was it was an experience that um I'm glad that I did, but it was a work
2: experience. Well, you worked hard though in the course of your career as a six time pro bowler a first team all pro. What made you as successful as you were during your Rams career? You know what?
4: I, I I had a I had a fairly good work ethic as far as I was a weight room guy. I was I I w I I st I've always been in the weight room. I'm still in the weight room today. And uh, you know, I just um and when, when the technique changed, there, there was a technique change that happened in about 19, uh, oh boy, that would have been uh, 70, 80, 80, about 80, 81, 82, as far as you could you could have full extension of the arms and learning how to do that. And Dan Radikovich and Hudson Hout were two of the uh, offensive line coaches that really helped in that deal. I mean, they they totally because if you watch the offensive line now, I mean, it's totally you got full arm extension. But when I first started in the league, you didn't have full arm extension in that, so it was a it was a different transition there. And just so what helped me was finally shutting shutting my mouth and listening to the coach that I had. And learning the technique that they were trying to teach, you know, because I have had a little bit of a rebellious attitude that I could do it my way. And, and, and again, the tech, but that was, that was that was that was some of the problems I was dealing with. Was just me and just the fact that I was a little bit, you know, I, I I'd already been a pro bowl, all pro, and this and, that, and all sitting there telling me you got to do it this way, and I just. When, you know, anyway, I fought it for a while, and then things, you know, you just, you just, <laughs> you know, you just, you just can't fight the system. So you got to learn how the system changes, and that's why in the NFL, if it changes, you got to learn the different rules, you got to learn what to do, and you got to adapt. And I was a little hard-headed, but again. I learned it, and then I went to the Pro Bowl. My last three years uh, uh, that I played, so and I was very, very proud of that.
2: So, with all that in mind, everything, all the things you worked hard for, and all the things you're learning to adjust and change. Who ended up being your toughest matchup on the field?
4: You know what? I, I could go with you know it just at different points. You know, I just when I when I have a dual read and I come out. When I when I come out and I read the linebacker, I played offensive guard, so I had a dual read on the linebacker and I come to step back. And here comes Lawrence Taylor off the corner. And it's just like, you know, wait, 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 wait. Just I mean, he's wanting me to commit. He's such an athlete. I just trying to I call it hold my water. Just wait till I get the last just glancing blow to push him around the corner. When you got guys like that, when I got Howie Long in front of me playing against uh, the Oakland Raiders when he when he hey, he does a slap and rip and he tries to hey he gets on your corner so quick. I mean it's so quick but you if you just learn how to deal with that situation. So I mean, you know, I've got I've got six or seven guys that are just that and just playing against Jack Lambert in the Super Bowl. He had no teeth. He's got spit flying out of his mouth. He's cussing everybody. What a great what a great moment! You've never played if you've never been cussed by Jack Lambert. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, like I said, he had no teeth. I mean, you looked at him; he's he's screaming, cussing, spit flying, no teeth, and you're out here going, "Man, we are playing today." I mean, that's that's my kind of football, you know. So anyway, so I could go, I could name, I could name ten guys, and there's there's not one. Not, not one inch between any of them, how great they were, you know. And, and like I said, you know, and, and playing against me and Joe Green in the Super Bowl. Who in the hell ever says they played against me, Joe Green, in the Super Bowl, but I did. And how fun was that? You know, I missed that. So I, I, I can name so many players that, but there's the top ten that are that are really hard to uh, to to draw a difference between. All
2: right, I have a serious question here. I, I, honestly, this is just, this is killing me. What on earth got you to do the Ramit video?
4: You know what? <laughs> we we thought we were going to get wealthy on that the Chicago, Bears, the Chicago Bears, had just done their their video, and you know, hey. You know, it's just typical being in LA and it's typical being a dumbass job and thinking it's, "Hey," and we heard that music and let's ram it. And, oh man, we're going you know, hey it was absolutely you know, I mean it's probably you know, I've done some ridiculous things in my life, but that's gotta be in the top five. And the fact of it is not only that did we make a dollar, we did not make $1 on that video. And absolutely, it was, It's and they play it, they play it at the stadium, they play it everywhere. It's hey, everybody has it. And you know what? It was a, uh, all I could say, it was a, um, it's, it was a moment when athletes think they can be actors and they can think they can be something that they, and they ought to stay in their box and not get out of, and again, we got out of our box and that's what we have to deal with for the rest of history.
2: Oh, and it's, that, that thing's going to live long. It'll never be forgotten.
4: Oh, you know what? And I go, hey, I go down to the stadium and they play it all the time. Hey, they play it all the time. Hey, it's all the time. Let's ram it. I mean, you know, it's okay. I may not see it. But hey. And Nolan Cromwell, had to be the worst dancer in the history of dancing. I mean, I know he has, he's eaten up with whiteness. He's eaten up with whiteness. But I'm telling you right now, I, I mean, poor Nolan, poor Nolan. <laughs> the, history, the history of time will have to be the worst, the worst white dancer of all time.
2: You know, I interviewed him earlier today, and I forgot <laughs> to ask him about the Ramit video.
4: Oh, God. oh, my gosh. I'm admit that he was the worst white dancer of all time. Okay? <laughs> we, all, we all voted, we all voted, and Nolan Cromwell was the worst white dancer of all time.
2: <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> so, Dennis, <laughs> you retired in, after the 1987 season. Uh, what? How did you know it was time to go? And what does it mean to you to have retired as a ram
4: well you know what the greatest thing was is i was able to retire on my own i was able to retire i played in the pro bowl my last game i, I was able to make that decision myself that i wasn't fired and to me that was a 10. you know not that they wouldn't fire me <laughs> year or two after, whatever but i played 13 years I played my last game in the Pro Bowl, I played my last three years in the Pro Bowl, and I just absolutely, it was, to me, it was time to move on, and uh, I, I married a, a, a wonderful woman, I married Teresa, and, and she's, well, I got two two wonderful boys, I got one that's an orthopedic surgeon, another one that's, that's a top salesman for a packaging company, I've been very fortunate with that, and I just have been blessed in my life. And you know what? It, it means everything to me.
2: But you didn't answer one part of that question. What did it mean to I mean, retire but, as a ram?
4: You know what it meant for me to start as a ram and retire as a ram. You know what? I am. I. I. I have no other affiliation. I have no. Hey. See, other guys have played for freaking ten teams, three teams, whatever. Uh-huh. I am an L.A. Rams. Always will be an L.A. Rams. I have no affiliation with anybody else, and I want no affiliation with anybody else. And, and what was so great at that time in that era is that most of the time when you started with a team, you ended with a team. And I, I know they... I know they held us down and, and didn't pay us what, what they should have at the time or this and that. But to me, I spent 13 years from 1975, with 11th player in the first round, to retiring in 1988, Pro Bowl. I am an L.A. Ram and I will always be an L.A. Ram fan.
2: So then how did you feel about this team moving back to L.A.?
4: I got to, I've got to light the torch with my two boys and my wife, and it was probably one of the greatest moments of my life to light the torch at the Colosseum with my boys and my wife. To this day, might be one of the greatest moments of my life, man. Yeah. That's so special. You, oh, get, I mean, you have me speechless. How could, it, how could it be any more special than that? For me to light the torch at the Coliseum after the ranch had left and gone, and I had I had basically turned my back on the Los Angeles ranch. When they were in St. Louis, I, I went there, and I heard, them, I heard them introduce, you know, they were introducing Dan Deerdorf. You know, that, that was on the Ring of Fame, and Jim Hart. Mm-hmm. And I'm in, I'm in the damn Ram Stadium, and they're introducing people that's played for the St. Louis Cardinals. And I go, this is ridiculous. And the, for me to come back, for them to come back to L.A., and for me to be in the Coliseum where I play, and for my boys to see me light the torch, and my wife was was like I said one of the highlights of my life.
2: And what what is your relationship now with the Rams?
4: You know what, I they have a good relationship with the Legends group. I mean, you know, I mean you know, I mean I, I get to go down to a game or two games or whatever and I get to be a part of it and they bring us back for a golf tournament or this or that. But it's just I, I think the whole NFL now with the Legends deal has realized that a lot of the people that support the NFL are older people and that the legends is a good thing to be a part of the NFL because it's older guys, you know, it just, it's who they grew up with, who their parents grew up with, who they showed their kids. And, and so they have brought the legends group closer now to the NFL than has ever been done before and I think they've come to find out that this is a this is a real
2: positive deal Well, I think what's really what people don't really understand is Americans tend to have a bit of a a passion for history especially in the sports we love and when the team moved to St. Louis it felt like that history prior to 1995, was forgotten. It really felt that way. That's why I started the site, because I didn't want that history forgotten. There are a lot of people out there like me, a lot of our listeners, a lot of people who eventually listen to this interview are people who are older and remember you playing, remember you getting in the trenches, playing in that Super Bowl. They, they remember all that stuff. And for so long, it just seemed like the NFL was forgetting that. I agree. Well,
4: well, and, and you know what? I I described it when I went to St. Louis as I go. You know what? This is nothing more than a bad divorce because I really felt it was a bad divorce, and I because I went there, tried to support the Rams, and I was in St. Louis, and I go. You know what? I I'm, I've got to get over this, and I have got to move on. And, and it was, to me, it was just like in a family. It was a bad divorce, and I had to accept it. But, but again, when all of a sudden... And i explain it in my hillbilly terms. In my hillbilly terms is, is you know what? It, it was almost like you had a lost dog, and they found my dog in St. Louis. And all of a sudden... I finally found my dog and got my dog back home, and my dog is in L.A. That's my dog. That's my king. That's where they belong. They should have never left. I'm telling you right now, I'm an L.A. fan, and that's where they belong. My dog
2: is back home. That's that's pretty freaking awesome. (laughs) Okay, so what have you been doing since retirement?
4: Hey, well, you know what, shit? I've been, I've been, I moved to West Virginia for five years. I moved to Florida Keys because I went to school University in Miami. I had, a, I had a partner in the Florida Keys. I had a bar, restaurant, motel in, in Isle of Marotta with Gary Dunn, who played 12 years for the Steelers. Then I moved to Temecula. I, I, I sold real estate. In Temecula, and then uh, for 13 years, and that's where I raised my boys. And i got one son that's a orthopedic surgeon and the other one that's in sales, and then now I live in a 75-acre ranch in Paso Robles, California, in the wine country, and that's where I'm at right now on the porch and talking to you. So I've been hey, between selling insurance, selling real estate, having bars, and just, you know what? I've tried to do everything and I've not been real good at any of them. So, you know, I just, hey, I'm enjoying the ranch here. And then I'm trying to figure out what my next venture's is
2: going to be. Well, something tells me your adventures aren't done yet.
4: <laughs> uh, you know, uh, <laughs> I'm going to find something, you know, I'm going to find something that I can laugh and make money at and I haven't figured that out yet because I, I want to do both of those. I just want to be able to laugh and make money. So anyway, I'm, I'm looking for that great tension.
2: Well, again, I want to thank you so much for coming on and, and, and talking about your life in the game and talking about, I, I got to be honest, you really hit home when you talked about the torch. That that That's going to be one of those moments on our shows that we'll never forget. I think one day we'll probably, uh, we'll cut out Pieces from our best podcast to make a special podcast of it. That's definitely going to be in there because that really um, that hit home, and I'm sure it hit home for a lot of people. Um, So thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it.
4: Well, it hit it hit home for me like you cannot believe. But anyway, hey, listen, anytime I can support you guys, whatever you're doing, whatever, hey, I'm all good. I'm an LA Rams fan, and I always will be. And if you guys ever need me, yell at me.
2: I definitely will. Thank you so much. All right, folks. Well, this that puts a a pretty good exclamation point on our show tonight. Again, for all the new listeners, thank you so much for taking time to to join us. It's really been a special time for us this year. We've seen our podcast grow today, which is a January twenty fourth. We again set a record for listenership and it's all thanks to you looking for more Rams content. Thank you for trusting us to provide you more content. If you are interested in advertising with us, uh, it's about that time we're starting doing contracts. Reach out to us at top 1945 at gmail.com. I have a media kit ready to get out to. You can also leave us a voicemail at 657-666-5453. We are really interested in partnering with you. We would like to be able to keep the lights on and and pay for the show. It's been a very hard project for us over the the last few months, and we could really appreciate um, help there. Uh, don't follow us on Twitter at TalkRams and on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash Ramstalk. You can find also a group called the Rams Talk Room where we can actually engage a little more in there. For whatever reason, over the course of many months, uh, Facebook's, um, their algorithm has really kind of buried us at times on our Facebook page. You can find me on Twitter at DCApala. You can find the rest of the guys as well. Don't forget us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, all those places. And, of course, we're on iebeatradio.com. They are our shows Wednesdays, Saturdays, and Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific time. So a special thanks to Vinny. And, of course, Dennis, thank you so much for coming on the show again. This is for the entire Rams Talk team. This is Derek C. Apollo. We have another show coming here real soon, real quick. Take it easy. And, well, the Super Bowl is almost here. Have a great night.